Welcome to Sinner's Take, another Catholic guys podcast of which we are the worst. I am Eddie. I'm Cody. And I'm Aaron. And today we're going to be talking about the body and spirit of the faith. So many of you may be thinking, what does that mean? I'm not going to tell you. First, we're going to talk about Aaron for a second. Aaron is a new campus minister at the school which we all work at, uh, school name Redacted. So Aaron, good to have you on the show. Welcome. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, tell us all of your sins that you've ever committed. <laughs> we need to know whether you're qualified to speak <laughs> to, on this. To speak on Sinner's Take. Um, no, so, but what is, uh, a little while ago, Aaron was reaching out and talking about something that he went through because he kind of had a, he grew up Catholic, kind of converted away from the Catholicism into a Protestant faith, and now back to Catholicism, and just how that journey has really brought so much life to his faith life. And I think that it was a really profound experience. So I invited him to come on the show to share some of that insight with you guys, because I think it uh, helped me personally a lot. And so, yeah, just do you have any opening thoughts on that before we really dive in? Well, the number one thing is I shared a reflection with Eddie and Cody that I spontaneously wrote about 10 years ago on my experience of what it was like growing up Catholic and that transition to giving my life fully to Jesus Christ in college at the age of 19, and how I felt like I came alive in a new way. But it took a, a process of about 12 or 13 years before I re-entered sacramental life, which was a little bit arduous, I would say. It was the completion of a lot of stuff that I felt um, I just didn't feel like I was completely fulfilled in that 12 to 13 year Protestant journey. And so, as I say in this reflection, I felt that my body and spirit sort of wrapped back together and I became a whole man. And that only happened through the sacramental life, but I, I didn't see that for a long time. So once I read the reflection, you'll see how that, how that really fleshes itself out. No pun intended. Pun is always intended, Aaron, here at Sinner's <laughs> Take. <laughs> uh, Cody, any opening thoughts? Uh, I really like what you have to say, and I really appreciated the, the reflection because it was something that I had kind of kind of felt when I was working at, in the parish. And so it was, it was just kind of like a, an offhand thought that I had had after a couple of conversations with uh, someone who had kind of a similar experience. And so it's nice to have my, my thoughts reaffirmed as being <laughs> He wants correct. to have you on just so that you can affirm his own thoughts. No, I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Such a vanity project. Isn't that what this whole thing is? <laughs> <laughs> Get my voice heard by more people. Obviously. Um, but no, I, yeah, I... I'm excited to hear more about it rather than just read it, like hear from from you yourself. And yeah, I, I just I really like the the connection that he made. Well, and C.S. Lewis talks about it as well. Which again, so many times where C.S. Lewis is like a better Catholic than Catholics are, yeah. and it's just like, come on, man, because um, he talks about it in the Great Divorce a lot. But I just I love the, the the wording of the phrasing of it's the completion of the sacraments really give body to the spirit yeah. and gives body to the faith, and I think it's profound. So I don't want to. Take, I don't want to talk about, around it too much before we just say it all again with actually where he talks about the reflection that he wrote. Um, so we have it here. I think he's, if you, don't, if you don't mind, if you would like to read it. No, uh, I think it'd be good just to go through it and then we can break it down yeah. and be a launching point for some discussion then. So yeah, take it away. Originally when I wrote this, I, had, I couldn't nail down one title. So I have two titles for this, and this was just spontaneous writing. But the first title is, Jack was right about that great divorce. Or otherwise known as a shout out to C.S. Lewis from a real solid ghost. 
And you only get that if you've read The Great Divorce. So if you haven't read it, it's not a very long read. Go ahead and read it. And then pause the show. Come back on after you've read it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right, here we go. I had to become a Christian in order to understand what it meant to be a Catholic. I had to become a Catholic in order to understand what it meant to be a Christian. I had to leave the church in order to return to the church. Christianity was the completion of my Catholicism, and Catholicism was the completion of my Christianity. Growing up Catholic, receiving the sacraments, going to Mass, growing up in a Catholic family, praying and wondering if my prayers ever got any higher than the ceiling, I felt like a body without a spirit. I did all of the stuff, but just with my body. Then, in the process of hearing the gospel in simplified Protestant packaging, giving my life fully to Jesus, and drifting away from the Catholic Church to follow friends into new churches, my spirit came alive. I was free. I was a ghost, a free ghost. And it felt really good being free, albeit a ghost, for a while. I kept chasing. I kept reaching out, trying to take something physical into my physical hands. Sometimes it was community, sometimes the messages of the Bible, sometimes social justice and threatening to move my blonde-haired, blue-eyed wife to Compton to do real ministry. Most of the time, it was, the great, it was great preaching and music. It was trying to get ever closer to the preacher idols I almost worshipped. Okay, I worshipped them. One in particular. Because at that time, if I could just crawl inside of the soul of the great preachers, it would be like living within the divine. They were the tabernacle. They were the holy of holies. They had the heart and words of God. And if I could just become like them, then all would be well. Then I would be satisfied. Then I could touch the divine. Then I could be the divine. Grasping, looking, pining, jonesing with seemingly good intentions. And this isn't even to mention the sinful addictions that were my fallback when ministry and seminary and golden-tongued orators and musicians and flashy church services and social justice ministry and doing church and the gospel the only way it was meant to be done simply did not satisfy. Oh, dear Lord, the arrogance and the ignorance. My very free, very alive, very ghastly spirit was left grasping at the air, and it felt so unsatisfying. When you're a ghost, it's good to be alive. It's good to feel things in your soul. But I got to the point where I wanted to have a body in the mix. I wanted my body and soul to interact on an organic level and to be able to take things into my real physical hands, to have a real and fantastic connection with the divine, not a phantasmic one, to feel it, to see and to taste it, to touch, to learn and to grow, and to know that the body and the soul can and must work together. They are satisfied together. Being a Catholic for me is a very physical thing. It's a very physical religion, and I love that. It's not a grasping at the air. It's not swallowing air and trying to feed your belly. When I surprisingly and unexpectedly returned to the church, my body returned and covered up my homeless and wandering soul. I could grab again. Now, I know that's bad theological terminology, we aren't supposed to grab. That's how the sin thing all started, the grabbing of the fruit. The grabbing for more knowledge and more intimacy and more connection. Every addict that lusts, no matter what they lust after, is seeking more than the perfection that is already theirs. So yes, I understand we are to assume a posture of reception. 
to take into our hands the gracious gift of redemption that is compassionately distributed to us day by day, like flown in relief supplies. But in grabbing, I mean it as satisfying a longing, an urge to actually take something physically into you, something that you can feel physically, take in physically, hug physically, corral, swallow, ingest, to satisfy a physical desire that at the moment is a deep physical and spiritual hunger that feels like an urge. I grabbed at the Eucharist, a starving man, and I saw my body and soul wrapped back together. I became a full man. Not a body without that spirit, and not a spirit without a body, but a full man. Body and spirit living perfectly, perfectly together, married, one, whole, complete. It is good to know and be known this way. I do a whole lot less clamoring these days. Oh, I still clamor. Don't let a liar fool you. But less, I think, and I hope. Actual grace is real. In the hands, in the heart, and in the belly. The divine. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Thank you very much. That's it. I think that's super profound. I think, yeah, honestly wonderful. I think we actually just are talking about, well, we've been talking a little bit about in the, the Narnia Nuggets, just about that sin kind of comes from curiosity and grabbing what is not rightfully yours. But I, I do like the phrasing of grabbing because like that, in a sense, is sometimes we, I think, take it too far and say like we are not, we should not want anything. But no, it is, it the faith is wanting what is good, like, and like with a real sense of want, wanting it. God wants you to grasp at him if it's, if it's right. It's, our curiosity leads us to grasp at, in our pride, to grasp at things that are not rightfully ours. But um, yeah, to, you, you go back through the Gospels of the people who want to be, who want to know Jesus, like they, they grasp at him, <laughs> sometimes literally grasp at him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that that's, that's super good. But there's so, there's so many things. That was like something that immediately popped in my head, mm-hmm. and also because you said it kind of recently. In, uh, but there's so much good here that I think we could, we could talk about. Uh, thoughts, yeah, Cody? I, yeah, I think what else is really beautiful is that, um, I don't know, you kind of have the best of both worlds in a sense, where you have like the cradle Catholic life and the convert life, right? Where you have like the, the deep roots there of the cradle Catholic life, but you also kind of have that vigor and that passion uh, that usually a lot of converts have. Uh, and I, the other thing I think is really beautiful is that, you know, like we can theorize about this, Eddie and I can. Uh, we can theorize about like, oh man, this is this, like, maybe this is the way it should be, or maybe this is the way it should be. And we can talk about, um, I don't know, we can talk a lot about what it would be like to convert, but you you have like experiential knowledge of the whole picture, I guess, mm-hmm. which I think is, is really beautiful. Yeah. yeah. When I gave my life fully to Jesus Christ, I mean, I, I had grown up, I, I made all of my sacraments of initiation, you know, so I, I was baptized, obviously. I did my first Holy Communion, um, first reconciliation, and then I was confirmed in eighth grade. So I'm, I'm a little older than you guys, so I was confirmed in eighth grade growing up in Pennsylvania. And um, I don't know, maybe, were you confirmed in eighth grade? I also was confirmed. Oh, okay. In, but it's because I was confirmed in St. Louis. Okay, got it. Yeah, so, so that's not, more not here. further East Coast, you know, you go yeah, to yeah. East Coast, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but like I've shared in theology classes here, and I've shared with a number of students over the last 10 years I've taught, I didn't really fully get it, you know? I, that's where I said I felt like a body without a spirit. I did all of the stuff, but I wasn't making a deep spiritual connection. I didn't really understand what it was to have a true spiritual relationship, a deep relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And so I was doing my best. I was trying to be a good Catholic kid and doing my best. It wasn't until I met an evangelical friend in college who actually hails from Yorba Linda, California and came out on a basketball scholarship. And which is so crazy. <laughs> I know is um, that she was so on fire for her faith. She shared the gospel. She was the one who shared the gospel with me in what I called that simplified Protestant packaging. And I guess that's what I needed at that moment. I needed, and, and when she shared the gospel with me, it was, I, I remember the date. It was December 9th of 1998, which actually is my wife's birthday and also the feast day of St. Juan Diego. And when she shared this little booklet, it was actually from Campus Crusade for Christ about giving your life to Jesus Christ. Um, I felt like there was a dark cloud over my mind, like I just didn't get it. I didn't really understand the simple gospel message, right? For a while, I kind of blamed my Catholic upbringing for muddying the waters. Well, so I prayed to God for understanding. And when I felt like I got just enough understanding, that's where I prayed a prayer in this little book. You know, like you hear the sinner's prayer among Protestants, you know, Thank you, Jesus, for dying for my sins. I believe you're my Savior and Lord. I want you to take control of the throne of my life and make me the person you want me to be. This is the prayer I prayed in three times in good Catholic fashion. And I felt like my mind cleared up. And I felt that this spiritual renewal and my life changed overnight. Like I, I felt an immediate change. And it was, I knew it was all or nothing. So I had to give myself completely over. It was all or nothing. And when I did that, I just happened to walk away from Catholic faith because this is where my spirit came alive, like I said. Yeah, and I, I don't, I never really blame anybody because I think it shows that God is in this for the long haul with everybody, you know. And who knows what, how you would have even possibly had community playing baseball at, you know, the University of, Pit, of Pittsburgh. Is, is it University of Pittsburgh or Pittsburgh? Uni- it's University of Pittsburgh. University of Pittsburgh. Yeah. yeah. Or uh, Pitt. They say Pitt. Yeah, everyone just says Pitt. Yeah. <laughs> um, armpit. <laughs> and just kidding, I love Pittsburgh. So, uh, you know, who, what, how would you even develop your Catholic faith there? So God, like, uses this, right? And God sees this as an opportunity. He's in this for the long haul, right? Because it's done nothing but, like you said, fulfill your faith in this path. Yeah. Because you see that so much. I love the the use of a body without a soul. when for Because we look, look around at Catholics who are not on fire. And that's really what they are. They're zombies, right? They go to Mass because it's their routine, and it's part of their their flow of their week or whatever it is, and they have their prayer before their meals because that's what they always have done, and they're they're just there really is no life there, and then I, don't know, I and then to contrast that with what you said about Protestants where they seem to almost be a spirit without body like a free spirit, and that's good, but they have nothing they have no roots they have nothing to latch on to. But they and, do they are much more dynamic and alive in a lot yeah, of ways, right? Exactly. They're, they're starving for what we have that we don't realize we have. <laughs> And, and we don't realize what we have, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. you know, a lot of us as Catholics. And I would say on my team in college, most of the guys on my team were Catholic. Quote, unquote. Well, I, right. I mean, they were, yeah, Catholic. Uh, they grew up that way. But I was probably the only guy that was fired up about Christian faith. And I used to get made fun of all the time for it. But because of what Christ did for me, I, I was all in. Like I said, and I think coming back to what Cody said before, this experiential conversion of Growing up Catholic and 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 going the Protestant way for twelve years, it was all genuine and real. Like I left the Catholic faith, I was not coming back. That's the whole thing. Like I had, I felt like I was being 
true to follow Christ the way that I was supposed to, and I never expected to return. It was, it was the sacraments that drew me back. That's something else I really respect about you, Aaron, and about this uh, journey that you've been on is that it was so real. Because I, I don't know, I feel like there are times where I have doubts or there are times where, and not doubts, but um, I feel like you really wanted Jesus, and that's and that's where all the motivation from everything came from, right? Is that you wanted enough to do things that were hard, uh, which is a, an area that I myself feel uh, maybe lacking in, right? That I would be too afraid to like do the wrong thing, where I I wouldn't make a, a huge leap of faith, and I think that sometimes you know that is what is necessary is is to push past that, and so I really respect that about you. I just wanted to say that. Appreciate that. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, and it's it's so tough to see to look at. I don't want to say it's so hard to look at the Protestant faith, but there is because they have a longing, right? And that's why I think I forget who I was talking to recently about it. But just the music, for example, I lo- I you know I love me some praise and worship, but it is getting so much more and more elaborate, and the builds are getting more and more ridiculous, and the songs are getting longer because that's all they have, right? Is is the music and the preaching, like you thought, like you said. I think it was really good that, that you wanted to be such a good preacher because you thought that that was the only living form of God on earth was music and preaching and so they they keep getting crazier and crazier and like this they hone those skills really really well but they're searching for they're, they're pulling from this well like that is just not fruitful for these for these things i mean it can be it has a, definitely has a purpose and a place but and it's just so sad like you said we have what they long for and we don't even know that we have it um <laughs> i yeah i remember i went to uh in high school my youth minister took us to a, a Bethel concert, and I didn't know what Bethel was at the time. I mean, I knew it was praise and worship, right? But I didn't realize how big of a deal they were in the praise and worship community. Uh, but we went to a Bethel concert in Pittsburgh uh, at Baptist Church, and I remember, again, not that I could have put this good of words to it, but I felt the same way that, like, I feel like I know what you're looking for, and it's, like, right down the street in the tabernacle, right? I guess I'm just repeating what you guys have both said already. Uh, but yeah, that's what I want to say. <laughs> it's not true. They, and so much of, you know, ecumenicalism and, you know, and what we can learn from, from each other is it's like, I mean, they do certain things about their faith so well. I mean, like you said, you had a genuine relationship with the Lord and that was drawn out of you because you were surrounded by people who also had a genuine relationship with the Lord. And we, we think that we, we're, you know, Catholics is almost like right, we've got the Eucharist, but I see so many of us not actually seeking after that relationship with Him, uh, and it's tough. But like, it is there is just no other way around it. You need both. You need to have the relationship. You need to have the authentic prayer, and you need to have the sacraments, or else you just you're just floating around aimlessly. Yeah, I was searching for a text uh, that I was having a conversation with my in-laws. My wife's parents are Lutheran. And so my father-in-law uh, likes to give me a hard time about um, being Catholic. He said, you know, Aaron, Catholic is basically, I'm sorry, Lutheran is basically Catholic light. So why wouldn't you just become a Lutheran? I said, why would I want to have light beer when I can have the real thing, right? So we kind of <laughs> jive back and forth with each other on this stuff, which is great. But, but our faith is so much more similar, like Catholic and Lutheran faith, where it's much, I mean, for them, it's much more sacramentally inclined than other Protestant uh, derivations, and I was having this conversation with them back and forth about these very prominent Protestant Christians that I entered into full-time ministry with, with Campus Crusade for Christ, 
and um, I, I probably won't name them, but these guys are, they're pretty, they're very popular YouTubers. Like they're, they're big. And they've recently, I, I don't know how recent they've declared themselves agnostic. And I'm seeing this trend among my Christian, not necessarily Catholic, Christian family and friends. I have a lot of pastoral friends. I have a lot of Christian ministry friends where these, these like there's an interesting turn happening in their faith. I can think of one guy who is now completely an atheist. He was a ministry leader like a, uh, of a college ministry, and now he's a complete atheist. I have others that are agnostic, and they've kind of gravitated towards that social justice movement, but they are slowly, in a sense, leaving you know, the biblical message of Christ behind. Right? So they want to get physically involved with the social justice, but they're kind of sauntering away from that biblical message. And then, then I have other friends who they have caught on and they've gravi- gravitated towards a sacramental faith, right? It, a, a lot of my experience, I see a lot of Protestant Christian experience, especially friends who are church planners and pastors. It's like collapsing in on itself. And I love them and I, I feel bad for them, but I also like, I get it because it collapsed in on me. You know, I was a college pastor. I worked in Christian ministry and I just saw that like, it, that's not where it was. Like, I was so hungry for what the Catholic Church has to offer. And uh, I could come up with a hundred reasons why I'm a Catholic and why I'll stay Catholic the rest of my life. You talk to my wife. She's like, my husband's crazy. He's crazy about Christ as a Catholic. And so. that's, that's really, I guess, what I had noticed when I was working in the parish was it seems like the two churches need to re- reunite, right? There was a great... I mean, if you want to call it a schism almost, but just the Protestant Reformation uh, kind of split, right? And whatever path led us here, now we have a situation where I feel like the the, the iron is hot to reunite the two churches again because we really we supplement a lot of what the other is lacking, right? The, the problem with, or the problem that seemed to be present in the Catholic Church is I think what Eddie had said, right? That we have a lot of people that, uh, don't understand the relationship aspect. Yep. Uh, a lot of people that don't understand that that is so essential that it gives life to the rest of the faith, right? Like it really is like the key piece that's missing for so many people. And the problem that the Protestant churches seem to be having was was longevity. So I guess the Protestant church in the area where I was working in the parish, they had it was in like the hundreds of thousands of people that were within that, um, within that church. It was, it was an absurd number, mm. right? Just absolutely ridiculous. But, and they, and they kept having more and more people come, but they also seemed to stagnate because they had an equal number of people leaving after a time frame of about seven or eight years. And it seemed to be the case that, you know, Catholics, it's almost the opposite problem. Like, Everybody stays in forever, and that's not a problem. I'm not. I don't mean to say that as a problem. I'm saying once again that that is not a problem. That people are staying in the Catholic Church, <laughs> but that. But they're staying in for the wrong reasons. But. The, but we're also be, losing a lot, though, too, aren't we? I mean, a lot of. Yeah. Yeah. But people seem to stick around, without having much reason to stick around. Okay. Right. If, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like they, they keep something they can, about it that make people want to stay. They continue to do it even if they don't understand the reasoning behind why they're doing it, where, you know, the Protestants, they understand perfectly why they did it at first, 
but for whatever reason, they were having this issue or this retention issue. Because there's a culture with Catholicism, which I think, and I'm actually just kind of having this thought for the first time now, so stop me if I, stop, if I wander into heresy. We talk a lot about cultural Catholicism and how a lot of times it's toxic, right? Because it's tough when, it, when it's involved in the culture and you just grow up with it, you don't choose it, and when there's no choice, it's tough to really be passionate about something. But, and actually, ironically, I, and I don't know if this episode is going to be going up before or after the thing that I'm about to talk about, but in a different C.S. Lewis letter called Learning in Wartime, which we're going to be speaking of soon, if we haven't already at this point, he talks about that you cannot stop culture. He says culture will happen one way or the other, and if you sacrifice good culture for something else, a bad culture will take its place. So, like, yes, Catholic culture, the idea of it is not great sometimes, right, And because there's a lot of hang-ups that come with it, and we don't work to, like, get people passionate about it. We're like, oh, well, he's, you know, he goes to church every Sunday. We don't need to try and get him to have a relationship with God. But the idea is that if you see that in the Protestant culture, that, like, if there is no roots there, they're going to go find roots somewhere else, and it's probably going to be in something that's not great, which ultimately will just cause the faith to, to fizzle, you know? And if you're always moving from one trend to the next, you know, that's the thing about, there's it's a lot of trendiness, and, you know, got to make sure we have... We're up to date on the trends, which also does a lot of good for bringing people in. But if all you're doing is moving from one trend to the next to the next, somebody who's been there for seven to eight years is going to get over it, right? Like, one, either the church is not going to look the same seven to eight years later. It's like a spiritual wanderlust. Yeah, really, it is. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. Uh, which is, I think, one of the great tragedies. Not well, That's so dramatic. I think it's one of, the, of, like, my generation and Cody's generation and probably a lot of your generation where – we think we we think that the wanderlust we we worship it. We think that like, every, like that searching the meaning of life is searching. Yeah. When in reality, the meaning of life is finding. Right. Like that's the whole thing. You, the whole point of having an open mouth is to close it around something that matters. Right. You can never chew anything if you just have an open mouth all the time. Right. I'll tell so, you a lot of my experience in the Protestant world. There was a high value placed on. And it, it summed up in one word. The word was tension. And so many leaders and pastors, they would talk about how in our life, in our theology, in our experience, it's always about this tension. we got to hold these two things in tension and tension. It was always about tension. And we questions would be added to questions upon more, more and more questions. And it became very dizzying. And I got to a point where I'm like, we need some more answers. You know, we say we know the answer, who is Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. But there's so much tension because they're, they're, they're trying to grab a hold of something physically. They're trying to have an answer for something where they're, they're only connecting in a spiritual way. There's no handles to grab onto. Let me give you an example from when I was in college. For two years, I didn't have a television in my, in my dorm room. And that was for reasons where I wanted to remain pure. I had my Bible. I had my journal, I had all my studies, I was an art student at Pitt, and so I'd go into my boring little apartment, and I would pray, I would do a lot of prayer, this is how I was building my relationship with Christ while I was in college. Well, I would do two things to connect physically with God. One, I would take an empty chair and set it in front of me, and I would look at the empty space and pretend that Jesus was there with me, because I wanted to have a physical connection with him as much as I was feeling so much spiritual change in my soul. The other thing I would do is I would close my eyes and I would grab a hold of my desk because I wanted a reminder that God was as real as the desk I was holding. When we would do prayer circle or Bible studies on campus, I would have people hold hands when we'd pray because, and I would tell everybody, 
the hand of the person you're holding, that, I want, that's a reminder to you that God is as real as that person. I was always like trying to figure out ways of physically connecting because we didn't have that. So that's why I say in the reflection, I was starving. I was pining. I was jonesing. I was looking for that connection. And, um, and so, yeah, it, it took a long time to come back around. And I think there's another connection I kind of forgot, but I think you guys know where I'm going with it, where we're looking for those physical connections, whether people know it or not. I mean, a lot of Protestant Christianity is very Gnostic in its orientation. It's just that it's a divorce of the spiritual from, from the physical. And there, there's a desire for the beautiful. There's a desire for great art. There's a desire for social justice. That's why you see this big push in the Protestant world, because they're looking for physical handholds that are going to tell them that God is as real as the things that I'm touching. And it's just so, I, honestly, like I almost teared up just thinking of you like sitting in your room looking at that chair when it's like, I mean, God bless it, you found your way back to Jesus in the Eucharist, but like, like kid, he's there. Like he's he's there. Like just go to him, you know. And like to the people, it's just so heartbreaking to think that like people who genuinely, genuinely want to know him, and it's like, like he's there. For, like he's there. Like, you know what I mean? Uh, and you're, it's like oh, it's just well, it's, they're looking for a lover, and he's right around their corner. He's right behind them right now, you know. I, I'm thinking of somebody that I love very much, um, that is Hispanic, whose family is from Mexico, and they grew up Catholic. The dad grew up Catholic, but something happened along the way, especially in terms of them moving from Mexico to the United States, where they left Catholic faith and they sort of grabbed onto a very, um, like, kind of strict traditionalist Christian faith, and everything Catholic became associated with the demonic. And it might have come out of maybe Santeria or something like worship of the saints, where it's just, I don't know what happened, but... I've been trying to help this person see their own story through the lens of the Virgin of Guadalupe. And like, dude, this is your story. Like, I love, you know, Our Lady of Guadalupe. And everything, everything that she communicates to us, just in her, who she was, her physical presence, her connection with Juan Diego. And I'm like, this is your heritage, dude. Nine million people convert in the entire country of Mexico. And we have the effective ending of child sacrifice in, in that culture, right? It, and it's like, I, now I'm longing for him to have that connection with his heritage. It's not even my own. And I want to, I want it to be my own. And it's not, it's, I'm just telling you, I see it all the time. So many of my Christian friends and family, they want what the church has to offer. So I would say for us as Catholics, we have to be willing to be bold. We have to preach as dynamically and as evangelistically as our Protestant Christian friends who are on fire for their faith do. And to say, you want the fullest completion of what it means to be a Christian? you got to enter the sacramental life and not be ashamed of that. Yeah, I have a Protestant friend who found my rosary, which found, fell out of my pocket on the baseball field, and he picked it up. So I said, well, keep it. I encourage you to start praying it. Download the Laudate app. I think he did. And this guy just had, he was a, he was a church planner. His church just folded. And he's looking for a new job. He was working at Home Depot. Like, I'm kind of gently trying to encourage him. He's, he's from Texas, from the South. You know, I don't know what kind of Catholic influence he grew up around, but I'm like trying to get him to explore Catholic faith because I know it's going to answer a lot of the, the things that he has where it's like he just hasn't felt uh, you know, that, that kind of fulfillment. You know? So anyway, sorry for talking so much. You can edit it out later. <laughs> Dude, I love hearing you talk, man. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's all I got. I mean, do you have any closing thoughts? 
No. Just thanks for, I mean, we'll have you on more, I'm sure. Yeah. But thanks for being here for the first time. Once a sinner, always a sinner. That's, uh, <laughs> that's our philosophy. <laughs> I feel like I belong here. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Well, Aaron, thanks for coming on. Uh, so from all of us here at Sinner's Take, you will hear us in the next one.